And welcome to the first ever recording of the Small Market Insecurities Podcast. This is your host, Phil Razor. I'm sitting here with my co-host, Sky Ball. Sky, how are you doing today, man? I'm good, brother. How are you doing? Uh, just living the dream one day at a time. You know how it goes. Just a couple of guys decided to uh, start a new podcast. You know, super original idea. So we're here to talk about all the teams that your favorite networks don't cover. We all get annoyed by ESPN covering the NFC East. NL East, AL East, all those godforsaken divisions that you are tired of hearing about. So we're here to bring you all the content from the rest of it. So Sky and I are here to present this to you. We're hoping you enjoy and uh, enjoy the ride. I think we're going to start off today uh, by talking about the new Columbus Crew Stadium. We are based out of Columbus, Ohio. So we'd be remiss if we didn't talk about Lower.com Field. I know I'm excited to be there on Saturday. Uh, I know Sky is going to be there soon. Um, we went to the last match at the, you know, historical crew stadium together. We had a great time. Yeah, no, it was a blast, man. I remember, like, as a kid going to the very first one at Montfred, you know, because Montfred was originally the first U.S. Pacific soccer stadium in the United States. And it was just kind of cool to see that last chapter finish up there. And then we get to move on to this new stadium, especially being, you know, I played goalie for, like, 15 years. So, you know, just the crew was a huge part of my growing up, like, here in Columbus. And it's just really cool to see them finally move on to a nicer stadium and like actually get you know some of the shit that they deserve. Exactly. No, I totally agree. It's great. And you know the MLS, you could argue with in itself is small market, but you know Columbus having two professional sports teams uh, and the crew and the Columbus Blue Jackets, which we will touch plenty on. Um, you know, it definitely feels uh, like a rejuvenation. Uh, we are a soccer crazed town, especially amongst the diehard fans. Um, the Nordeck is absolutely insane when you go watch a match. So those 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 you know. Good folks go absolutely bonkers for the team. So um, it'll be really fun to go down there. They're playing the New England Revolution, which how appropriate for the 4th of July weekend. They're starting off with the New England Revolution. You can't write that kind of script. So it'll be cool. I've been to two games in my life, one at home, one away. And (laughs) Jesse Zardes has all five goals. Oh, yeah. I think uh, what last game he had, uh, the last game at Montfrey, he had two, almost a third. Yeah, he had a nice, nice first half brace, I believe. And, you know, they, they coasted to a nice 2 nothing win, uh, defended their bag off against Chicago. And it'll be really fun to see how they, uh, you know, the new stadium is welcomed. It's going to be really cool that Zach Steffen is leading the, the fan march, the pride of now Manchester City. Yeah. And, uh, you know, but he is definitely a crew legend and the USMNT's number one keeper. So it'll be really cool to have him kind of lead the charge into the new stadium since, you know, the season's a line where he is not currently in season. So... That'll be really fun to uh, you know have him back and watch him uh, lead the charge into the new stadium as the defending MLS Cup champions. Yeah, no, it's awesome. I mean, just even growing like as a kid, like I never thought I'd hear Columbus Crew as like MLS champions. We've done it twice since then, mm-hmm. so it's really cool having that. And then also our keeper starts for the U.S. Men's National Team. That's just like a really cool combination of things that happen here in Columbus. Um, especially the fact that he's going to be like walking around like beating everybody. Uh, I think it's really cool. It kind of gets more exposure for the U.S. Men's National Team. That's going to be a really exciting Saturday, um, you know, for everybody. And I'm looking forward to enjoying it with the uh, the good folks in our deck. They are some absolutely wild fans. Yeah, it's almost like uh, I'd compare them to more like the dog pound, more or less, of the MLS. Just completely out of their minds. Dog pound is out of their minds. Just ravenous people. Um, speaking of dog pound and the Browns, Baker's contract is coming up. It's been in the media a lot. They're talking about it. He... Uh, He's come out and said through his attorney and manager that he is not going to give them any discounts, which rightfully so. Because, oh, I mean, absolutely. The man yeah, won a playoff game. The first Browns playoff yeah. win since, what, Bill Belichick was the head coach? Yeah. 
Yeah, yeah. I th- I, I, actually, yeah, I think Bill Belichick was the head coach last time we won a, a playoff game. That would have been... It was 1994? Yeah, 94. Mm-hmm. Jesus. That's insane to think that it's been that long. But yeah, I mean, Baker deserves every red cent of that contract, honestly. Because, I mean, watching him come in, especially after going 0-16 and 1-15 those two seasons, you know, just the carousel of terrible coaches that's happened, you know... Baker coming in on his on his rookie year, winning a you know winning the first game in a, what almost two seasons, two full seasons, mm-hmm. and then you know you got this rounding door of, of coaches in like while he's there, you know his first three seasons he had a different head coach all three seasons and he still was putting up pretty solid numbers. It makes it really hard to succeed at that level when you have to constantly adjust the scheme and the offensive style, and I think he's done that very well. Given the circumstances, yeah, and it's it's also really nice to see Stefanski come in and you know kind of use him as the coach handsome, point. yeah, the handsomest guy in the league, and we're gonna run with that. Cliff yeah. Kingsbury might have something to say about that. Nah, not, not not even close. It's not even close. He's like Gucci Page Six. He makes Cliff Kingsbury look like some out of American Eagle ad. Not even close. Anyways, <laughs> sorry, I couldn't help it. Went on a tangent, uh, but no. Uh, it's cool to see Kevin come in there and like actually build a team around Baker and play to Baker's strengths. You know, because everybody wants to sit here and say all this stuff about Baker and all his shortcomings and how he's not an elite quarterback and you know he, all the doubters all the time. He throws better running to his left out of the pocket than out of you know to his right, which seems like an odd juxtaposition for a right-handed quarterback to yeah. you know throw better. But maybe he keeps it mechanically more sound. Uh, he, he he's more cognizant when he rolls to his left because he has to get his shoulders rotated than to his right where he lets it sail. Yeah. Potentially, that's the only. Shortcoming because his deep ball is phenomenal. I think he was best in the league percentage wise. I think um, we'd have to fact check that, but I don't doubt it. Here, I'll, I'll get on that while you're uh, while you're talking about that. But I'm pretty sure I, I want to say he was number one in the league. I think it's like 57. percent It's. I just find it funny that Baker, the kid from Oklahoma, you know, the walk on from Texas Tech to Oklahoma, wins the Heisman, first ever walk on to win the Heisman Trophy, comes out of the shoe, pisses off the fan base that he, that now adores him by yeah. by planting the flag. I was there at that game. I hated him at the time. I'm not even a Browns fan. Sky is the resident Browns fan on this podcast. I'm actually a fan of the Jacksonville Jaguars, but I can tell you that when he was first drafted, all I thought was, oh, here we go, another Browns flop. Uh, but can you really blame anyone for thinking that? No, not at all. I mean, I've been a Browns fan my whole life, unfortunately, and uh, I've seen, what, at least 17 quarterbacks in my time being a fan. It's They've gone through an absolute carousel of quarterbacks, and it, it's refreshing as someone who lives in the state and – you know, obviously, I you know a myriad of friends that are all Browns fans. It's nice to see them actually enjoy some success. Um, you know, by starting off with Baker winning a few games, bringing the hope, and then you know molting it into now where he's you know he's won a playoff game. Yeah, and you know they had a real good fighting chance against the Kansas City Chiefs, and now it's fun to you know it's exciting to see where they're going to end up after this year, and then even the year after. And, you know, going forward, assuming they get a deal done with, with Baker, where they're going to end up uh, here in the in the close future because the, the sky's the limit for this team. Yeah. I and legitimately think they have uh, one of the top three, if not top two, rosters in the National Football League right now. Yeah, I, no, I agree. I think on paper they're definitely top three easily, maybe top two. Mm-hmm. And back to uh, – I found his percentage. It was actually – it's 55% or 55.8%. So – he was leading the NFL in deep ball percentage. On his, and that's of throws more than 20 yards down the field? Yeah, it's more than 20 yards. Air 20 yards on the field. He's completing almost 56% of those passes. Yeah. 
That is an egregious number. No, it's insane. And it's like, that's, you know, if we do end up having to shell out $40 million a year for this kid, like, I'm totally for it. Mm-hmm. You know, if we have to kind of trim the fat in other positions, I mean, I'm not talking about Nick Chubb and Kareem Hunt because I want, you know, they're, they're like the modern-day Mac and Biner. I want them to stick together because, I mean, we're playing like old-school Browns football. Like, you know, Baker can throw the deep ball when we need him, but that's the, we just need him to do what we need him to do mm-hmm. when we need it. Play with himself. Yeah, and then you have, you know, this – two-headed monster of Kareem and Nick Chubb in the backfield, you can just force the ball down teams' throats. You know, because, like, the Browns have historically been, you know, blue-collar, hard-nosed, like, we're just going to force our will on you. Kind that's of the whole That's the whole division. The weather gets terrible in crunch time, and yeah. most teams in the AFC North, historically, are, gra- you know, the teams that win, they ground and pound, play defense, and they throw the ball when they have to. Yeah. That's how the, the Ravens have won their Super Bowls. That's how the Steelers have won their Super Bowls. Oh, yeah. It's it's you know, the Bengals have been to two Super Bowls in the eighties. It's how those teams found success was, you know, they had good good leadership. You know, they had semi elite quarterbacks. I would argue that a few of those quarterbacks have been elite, but you know, they've all played incredible defense. I mean, that two thousand Ravens team oh, gave yeah. up what, nine point seven points per game? Yeah, I think it's one of the lowest in NFL history. I think it may be the lowest in NFL history. Yeah, it's definitely and, top five. And it's just ridiculous how they've done it. And, you know, the Browns have had a solid defense for as long as I can remember. The problem for them has always been putting it all together. Yeah, and it's it, and that just, it rounds right back to the point of, like, you know, the offensive, you know, coaching staff. you got to build and you got to build a team around certain guys that play to their strengths. And the, the, there's a reason that Cleveland has been known for so long, like, where quarterbacks go to die. You know, it's a quarterback graveyard. Not anymore, you know, because we have a kid that came in. I mean, I'll, I'm not going to lie to you. Watching Baker plant that flag in the block O made my blood boil. But as soon as he walked in the doors at Berea, that first team, or that first year he was he was with us, I was like, you know what? I'll give the guy a chance. And then here we are, three years down the road. I know I'm going to sound like every other Browns fan, but it's like we might actually well, be you, Super Bowl contenders. You are every other Browns fan. Yeah, that's true. I, I absolutely am. I like I love this team so passionately, even though they've done nothing but hurt my feelings for 25 years. But I will say, watching him come in those doors and seeing what he did during that, that rookie training camp, mini camps, all that stuff, it was like, all right, I think we might have something good here. And now here we are three years down the road. Like I said, I don't mean to sound like every other guy, but we actually are Super Bowl contenders. I agree, and I think every fan listening to this of a small market team can feel the pain of constant disappointment year in and year out yeah. because either your, your, your franchise can't spend money, they don't have the money, they don't have this. They make an excuse. They have to cut costs. Guys don't want to be there because they can. Why would you want to live in Cleveland when you could go live in Los Angeles? And that's the beauty of what we're doing here with this podcast is we want to give a voice to the fans that care the most. You're not, you know, you don't see Jay Z sitting courtside at a Nets game wearing a Kansas City Chiefs hat, maybe for Patrick Mahomes. But, right. you know, you don't see. Jack Nicholson sitting courtside at a Lakers game wearing a Minnesota Twins hat. That's the whole. That's the whole point of why we're here, is because guys like Baker feed into a fan base that wants him. The yeah. fan base loves him, and it's funny to me on the Browns topic. They've drafted guys, villains of Ohio State football, if you will, before Braylon Edwards, Kellen yeah. Winslow, Jabril Peppers, and none of those guys succeeded there. Braylon was good. But Kellen, I mean, Braylon, Braylon was out of those out of the guys that you named. Braylon was definitely skill wise 
the highest ceiling out of all out of all three. He so was the biggest no brainer of the three. Yeah, I think that's why the like the fan base we gave him more of a chance mm-hmm. than we did Jabril because Pe- Jabril, Jabril Peppers. If you're an Ohio State fan, that that dude is a menace. Until his last Ohio State game, he had as many career interceptions as a Division One NCAA football player as Sky and I combined. Yeah, he has he had one off a deflection against JT Barrett and a double overtime loss. That's the best he got, and he won Big Ten Linebacker of the Year. So I will never understand that. I don't either. But you know what? Sometimes they got to pump Michigan's tires. They they could use a tire pump given how that program's going. But that's a different topic. Yeah, yeah. So I agree, and it's fun that Baker has become this kind of cult hero. No, if, absolutely. I mean, he's if he's, you will, which is kind of a fun segue into what I'm going to talk about. I'm a huge Cincinnati Reds fan. Sky and I uh, go back and forth. He, he's a Cleveland guy. Um, like I said earlier, I'm a Jaguars fan. I'm also a diehard Cincinnati Reds fan. And I am elated right now, not with the team's performance. They, you know, they've, they've had some ups and downs. But right now, it looks like Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos may damn well be starting as the corner outfielders in the All-Star game in Denver here in a couple weeks. And they deserve it. Oh, absolutely. Nick, I mean, Nick Castellanos and Jesse Winker a thousand percent deserve to start that game. They have been monsters this year. Oh, hundred percent. I mean, I just like I'm not even a Reds fan, but I you know I pay attention to the team because it, a it's a small market team, and we're all from Ohio, so you know it's our it's our buddies that live down south of Columbus. I support them too, but I mean there have been so many times where the game's not going their way, and I've seen Castellanos just take a pitcher yard for no reason, like just out of nowhere. And same with Winker. I mean, those two together. The batting is just incredible on their end. I have a few stats that I like to share. I'm a big stats guy, and right now, I don't put uh, I don't put too much onus on batting average. I'm more of an on base percentage guy, mm-hmm. um, because if you factor in batting average, you have to factor in things like batting average on balls in play. Yeah. How lucky does a guy get when he hits the ball, and things like that. There's you know baseball metrics go very deep, but you almost have to take the money ball approach to it. It's like, well, and how do how does he score? He gets on base. He gets on base. That's, that's all, all that matters. matters. Thank you, Brad Pitt. Yeah, that's all that matters. And right now, I'm looking at BaseballReference.com. Nick Castellanos is hitting 346 this year. Pretty good. That's pretty solid. That is 19 points better than Adam Frazier of the Pittsburgh Pirates, who should be the starting second baseman uh, for the National League. And then Jesse Winker is third at 325. That's pretty impressive. A stat I love is slugging percentage, which is nuts right now on a sidebar because Fernando Tatis Jr., we I mean, we will talk about him in a segment on its own because that kid is a monster. No, he deserves his own segment for how good he's been. Like he is slugging seven oh five right now. That is that is Ruthian in terms of how oh, great yeah. that is. Yeah, that's 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 up there with like Mark McGuire, Barry Bott. Like that exactly. is insanity. And number two is Castellanos at six oh seven, and number four is Jesse Winker at five ninety six. In his heyday, when Joey Votto who I believe is a Hall of Famer, and that'll be a whole different segment as well, was slugging 550. And these guys are both slugging damn near 600 at the All-Star. At, <laughs> it, it at literally near the All-Star laugh. break. It makes me laugh, like, seeing numbers that oh. high on the same team, with two guys on the same team. It's comical. I like on-base plus slugging, OPS. It's a great yeah. stat. Uh, Castellanos and Winker are both at <laughs> 1,000 or better. And only the only other guy in that category? Fernando Tatis Jr. Well, yeah, yeah, yeah. So... But they, still, I mean, you have two of the top three. They're both ahead of you know Ronald Acuna Jr., who is an absolute superstar in his own right down in Atlanta. But 
these guys are doing something really special right now. Castellanos, by the way, leads the NL in hits. He has 102 hits. Good Lord. Already. Winker has like 91. So and this is before the All-Star break. Yeah, the All-Star break is next week. Yeah. <laughs> You're over 100 before the All-Star break. You're doing something right. It's, it's ridiculous. So it, where these guys are at and the level they've been performing all year, um, one, one day that really stands out in my mind was Monday night. The Reds had a makeup game with the Philadelphia Phillies. And everybody thinks, oh, Bryce Harper, you know, best outfielder in the series, right? No, he wasn't. Nah, he wasn't even the he wasn't even the fourth best outfielder in that series. Odubel Herrera was way better than him for the Phillies. Yeah, no, I'd, I'd agree with you. Castellanos came up to the plate after Winker got hit by a pitch in the seventh inning. It was four two Phillies, and the game was in a just an absolute lull. There was nothing going on. I'm sitting in my apartment trying to think. How can the Reds get back into this? And sure enough, in his Major League debut, Lopez gets a base hit. And then Tyler Stevenson gets a base hit. And I'm like, all right, they're cooking with peanut oil now. This is good. And then Wicker gets hit in the elbow. And I'm like, well. A little base is loaded action. As they say in the movie Dodgeball, it's a bold strategy, Cotton. Let's see how it pays off for him. <laughs> exactly. And sure enough, Castellanos, the first pitch, lines went right to the left field line that would have tied the game minimum. Just foul. And I was like, shit, that was the moment. Yeah, and then the next pitch, he drilled to left center field right into the Reds' bullpen for a grand slam. It's an absolute piss missile. Absolute piss missile. And the entire, st- all of Great American Ballpark, MVP, MVP. Okay. And you know what? And rightfully so. Nicholas Castellanos is an absolute MVP candidate. He won't get the love that other guys get into, unless he keeps this up through mid to late August. It's the curse of playing for a small market team. Goddamn small market insecurities. But they don't let us have anything nice. Nicholas Castellanos should absolutely be in consideration, and so should Jesse Winker. No, they, I think so too. I think you have two real, like, real time MVP candidates on your team. And they and the beauty of it is they're a lefty righty combo, so they hit right next to each other. And then if you get through that, then you come up to another buzzsaw with guys like Joey Votto, yep, Tyler Stevenson. Yep. Tyler Naquin's been absolutely crushing it this year. Tyler Naquin's start to the season was just, I've, I've never seen anything like it. So like in, it was insane. In Reds history, in only three seasons have they had two players on the team finish the season with two games of seven plus RBI by two consecutive by two hitters. Naquin and Castellanos have both done it this year. Yeah, and, and that's that just adds salt in the wound, too, to know that he played for the Tribe and he wasn't doing this stuff for us in Cleveland. And then as soon as he shows up in Sensi, he unpacks his bags and just starts absolutely crushing balls. Yeah. And I'm like, where was this in Cleveland? Also, I, I'm so irritated with Cleveland for letting him walk for nothing over a kid that we thought was going to be great, didn't even make it out of, out of spring training. And you let something like that go, and then now look at him. He's, he's just slugging for you guys. Which, I mean, good for you guys, honestly. I'm, I'm glad he also found, you know, a place that wants him to, you know, be in the lineup and actually really do something. Because I don't think they gave him a fair fight in Cleveland. It, it, it's funny how that works in baseball sometimes. And the Reds have an absolute myriad of, of guys that have gone through that, too. Um, looking at a few more stats right here. Total bases, NL leaders. Castellanos is 179. Winker has 165. They're top, they're top two. Castellanos has 27 doubles this year. And here's a fun one. Runs created. Nick Castellanos has created 69 runs. Nice. Nice. That is more than Acuna, Tatis, Winker. He's created the most runs in the National League. He also has 44 extra base hits. MVP 
Yeah. Like, honestly, he's going to end the season with 65-plus extra base hits. That's insane. Yeah. It, it, it's gotten to the point where if you're ignoring it, you're ignorant. Yeah, absolutely. But, I mean, you know, ESPN, they're going to, you know, they're going to kiss the asses of all the big market teams and they're not going to give him the credit that he's deserved that that he deserves. And it's it and that's what sucks and that's kind of what we're trying to do here is make it to where like, you know, maybe if if someone gives us a listen and like the right guy hears us like they'll be like, "Oh, you know what? Maybe I should look more into this." Or you know, maybe I should consider him. You know, and it's like watching a guy put up numbers like that when in the back of your mind you know he's not going to get the nod at the end of the season. It's just the most frustrating thing in the world. Because it's like, this guy has put up clear MVP numbers, mm-hmm. but he's going to get the shaft. It's kind of how I felt, you know, watching, when I watch things, and this is jumping sports, um, when I watch like Norris Trophy voting. And you see a guy this year, like Adam Fox wins it, and deservedly so. He plays for the New York Rangers. Of course yeah. he won it. Do I think he's the best two-way defenseman of the NHL? Not really. I think he had a good year. I think Kale McCarr is a borderline Hall of Famer, potential-wise, yeah. out in Colorado. And the Avalanche do a lot of great things for the National Hockey League. They've won cups. You know, they always fight um, you know, for playoff positioning and for you know, home ice advantage and things like that. Mm-hmm. But the thing that, that, that really rubs me the wrong way is they don't get the love. Now, I do think hockey does the best job of the four major American sports and not – you know, I call it market humping. Yeah. You know, <laughs> that's a great term. Yeah. They, they do a great job in, in not market humping. And I think they do a, a, an excellent job in making sure they cover all 31, about to be 32 teams in the national hockey league. But I think Kale McCarr was probably more deserving than Adam Fox, but Fox is also a phenomenal defenseman who had a great year after a trade gets a new market Gets re-energized. I mean, it is New York City. I mean, he's probably going out for steak at 1 o'clock in the morning and loving his life. Oh, absolutely. So, you know, there are definitely uh, perks to being in that in that style of market. But I also think there's something to be said for a guy that, that puts it up in a place that, you know, drafts him and, you know, nurtures the young talent, bringing him up. And, you know, it feels more like home. Right. I, I'm a big proponent of small business, as is, as is my co-host Sky here. And one of the things that I really love is finding, like, a good diner in, in, in your town and going to support them. Why would I want to go to Bob Evans? It's the same everywhere. Yeah, I mean, I'm with you on that one. Like, trust me, I'm a dirty little slut for a good diner. I love a good breakfast joint. Also, shout Greasy out to Jack breakfast. and Minnie's. Jack and Minnie's is where it's shout at. Shout out Jack and Minnie's. Give them a chance. Shout out DK Diner. DK Diner is a very close second, I will say that. Those two places, if you're ever in Columbus, DK Diner, Jack and Benny's, definitely check them out. We're definitely not looking for sponsors. Maybe just a little bit. But no, they're very worthy of it. All right, our next burning topic is something that hits close to home for a lot of Columbus sports fans, especially those that, uh, like Sky and I, are enamored with the Columbus Blue Jackets. Seth Jones. Love the guy, but... Great hockey player, great person. All around, he's really cool. Like, you know, I work in the restaurant industry and the bar industry. I've been bartending for years, and... I've worked in a few places here around Columbus and he's come into most of those places and he's never been anything but cool. Never been anything, but you know, great tipper, you know, really, really nice guy. Yeah, absolutely. I ran into him at a a local bar down here in Columbus one time and, uh, you know, he was standing up there at the bar and I I walked up and, um, one of the other guys on the team was talking to one of my friends. So him and I were talking and we literally talked about cooking and red wine for about 30 minutes and it, you would never know. You know, especially if you don't act like an asshole, 
he's just a normal guy, which most athletes are, but some of them get a little bit of a big head. Understandably so. The ego's got to be massive to make it that far. But Seth has never presented himself as that guy to any of us. And it's it's unfortunate, I think is the right word, that he wants – I mean, I understand why he wants to test free agency. You know, go get your bag. I get yeah. that. I mean, it, playing for a small market team, like he's it, – it's going to be a lot harder for him to reach his, like, pinnacle than it would be, you know, with, like, a New York or a Vegas. You know what I mean? Like, mm-hmm. if he – like, if he's in a better market – He's going to have a better opportunity. I don't like better market. I think bigger market is the right word. Bigger market. I'm, I'm, I'm speaking on like ESPN's terms here. They, they see it as well, a better ESPN market. ESPN sure as hell wouldn't talk about hockey. Well, no, they, they, they will now. Well, that's it's because they're too busy with the SEC's dick in their mouth all the time. But that's a different topic for a different episode. Um, <laughs> I, I honestly, my, my big thing when it comes to Seth Jones testing for agency, they need to trade him. The Blue Jackets absolutely need to trade him. I wouldn't say they're doing a full-blown rebuild right now. I think it's more of a reload. I think the 21-22 season is going to be kind of a gong show. But uh, one of the big things is going to be, you know, guys on with one or two years left, what can you get back? And Seth has one year left on his deal. So I think the Blue Jackets would be smart to trade him. Well, as long as you don't go the route of the Cleveland Indians and let one of your superstars walk for nothing, like yeah. they always do. You really hate to see a player walk for nothing. Yeah. Like, at this point, if Seth Jones has decided that he wants to leave the Jackets and he wants to go test free agency, that's fine, but at least get something for him. And right now, the hot rumor, uh, the biggest quarter, if you will, is the Philadelphia Flyers. And I don't love it because they're in the Metropolitan Division. I would hate to see him in an orange and black uniform. I really would. It's gross because he doesn't fit the Broad Street Bullies image. But what would really suck is having to play him seven times a year. But I mean, the dude's a lockdown defenseman. He is. And he can score. He is. I mean, he's he's literally the total package as a defenseman. He is a perennial. Granted, his 2021 season was not great. But he's a perennial Norris candidate. He certainly finished up there in his career in terms of Norris voting. And if the Flyers work out a deal that signs him to a long-term contract, I'll be really upset to have to play him four, five, six, seven times a year. But it's not ideal, that's for sure. It absolutely is not. Now, his brother plays in Edmonton. Caleb plays for the Edmonton Oilers. Yep. And one of the big things in hockey right now is, granted, the Montreal Canadiens are in the Stanley Cup final. Now, they're down 2 nothing to Tampa. Tampa's an absolute rocket. They are a wagon. Yeah, I mean, Tampa's one of the better hockey teams I've seen in the last eight to ten years, probably. Exactly. And they're looking to go back-to-back. And I wouldn't be shocked I mean, hell, if they did. They haven't lost a playoff series since the Jackets swept them out in the first round of 2018-2019. So they've been on an absolute tear since. Revenge now, tour. Exactly. Yeah, the double revenge tour right <laughs> yeah, now. Yeah, seriously. And I understand that, you know, when it, when it comes to it, like Canada hasn't won a Stanley Cup since Montreal did it in 1993. One of the big things for me is a lot of those Canadian teams, and not even they're all, not all, all small markets. I could, I mean, it's all based on perspective. The Canadian teams are big markets up in Canada because they are obsessed with hockey. Although, fun fact, their national sport is actually lacrosse. I think I actually knew that. Yeah, the, yeah, their their national sports lacrosse, but everybody knows hockey dominates the Great White North for hockey, maple syrup, and Canadian bacon. <laughs> but lacrosse is still your your national sport. You it's, I, it's it's a weird stat or a weird fact to know, but it is. But you know, up there, I would I would consider in the hockey world, Toronto's big market, Montreal's big market. The rest of them, you could argue, are small market. 
And yeah, I mean, definitely Winnipeg for sure would be considered a small market. Oh, Ottawa, I mean, it's the capital of Canada, but really not that big of a market. Never won a cup. Yeah, Winnipeg's never won a cup under the current franchise. Uh, Calgary's won one cup. Edmonton's won a ton of cups, but Edmonton's not a big, you know, it's not a big market. I mean, Doesn't matter. So, <laughs> anyways, so you know, I I agree, and in the sense that you know, like even Vancouver, not a huge market in terms of you know national presence. You know, the Leafs lose a 3-1 series lead to Montreal, and it's not really about how great Montreal was. It was about how bad the Leafs were in the last three games. So yeah. I think Seth would thrive up there. Now, he is an American, obviously. Um, his dad was, you know, is, not was, Popeye Jones uh, of the NBA, played for a few teams, um, the Mavericks and the Nuggets being the two main ones. And, you know, he, he was raised on hockey with his brother Caleb. I think Edmonton's a good fit. I think for him... You know, outside Toronto being a good fit, I, I think a lot of those teams up there have the piece. I think Winnipeg's really good, and he'd be a great fit there. I think Calgary is good. He'd be a good fit there. Uh, Vancouver needs a lot of help. They're really young. I think they could use some help um, on their you know, on their blue line as well. There are a lot of great fits up there. When it, My when, only thing with Winnipeg, though, is the whole PLD situation. So that's basically you know the situation with Seth Jones. In terms of American markets, I really think – there are plenty of suitors here that aren't in the Metropolitan Division that would be good for him. I mean, obviously, the easy answer is, you know, the Dallas Stars. Right. Considering he's from there. Um, I think it'd be great to maybe work out a trade with a team like maybe the Florida Panthers, who could use a little, excuse me, a little D-man help because they're going to have Spencer Knight probably starting next year. He's going to be a rookie goaltender. Might possibly be able to get a... Couple of our former jackets back out of them. If we go that route, I don't know if I want to bring any of those guys back. They they played well down there, but that's you know I'm ready to move forward, not move back. Um, well, while we're on the subject of moving back, not forward, do we really think Nick Foligno is going to come back? It's a great question because his kids are still enrolled here in Columbus in school. Yeah, I don't know. Um, he sold merchandise um, at thrift stores. He put it. He just donated it to thrift stores, and people are buying it right now. I don't know. Um, I can tell you, David Savard wants to play in Canada. I understand that he's, you know, he's a Quebec boy. So playing for a Canadian team in a Canadian market where you are an absolute rock star certainly fits the billing for him. He damn well uh, may win a cup right here with Tampa. So um, I, it, it'll just depend if they bring Felino back and trade Jones. It makes sense. That's mainly what I'm getting at. I would, like if, if we're if, if Jones is going to leave, I would like I would like for the Jackets to try and make a push to get Felino back. You know, especially because he was on a one-year deal. He wanted to go try and win a cup. Obviously, they were eliminated. He left his kids enrolled in school here. He didn't sell his house yet. So it kind of almost gives you that inkling that, like, all right, he is coming back. Certainly. Which it would work out. Part, like At that point, I could be a lot more okay with losing Seth Jones if we get Felino back. You know, obviously, they're, they're different positions. Um, the leadership is the big thing. That's what I'm getting at. Because yeah. when, he, when Felino left, everybody's looking at Seth like he's going to be the captain. And then now that he's made it very clear that like he's probably not going to come back, I think it makes perfect sense to bring you know Felino back to be our leader. Who do you think they lose to Seattle, or do you think they make a trade with Seattle to prevent them from taking anybody like they did with Josh Anderson? Where I, he, think, I think it'd be a trade to prevent. Josh was unprotected, but they made a trade of a first round pick with Vegas, so they wouldn't take him. Now, granted, William Carlson has been absolutely killing it in Vegas, but yeah. I don't know. A lot of people say one, one, one of the one of the attendees, and I get it. I get where they're coming from. However, you can only protect one goaltender. I think this is just my personal opinion. I think we keep Elvis. 
I, I think Jonas is a little bit more consistent, but I think I think Elvis has got the higher ceiling. And the Jackets are very deep. I mean, Kivonix Kivy is a very good goalie. Kivy's they, great. They also have Tarasov coming up. Um, I mean, even know, our lowest tier goaltender could start for most of the teams in the league. The Jackets are very deep uh, in the organization in the goaltending department. So, I don't, but my thing is, I don't think Seattle would take them. I think Seattle's going to look at whomever's not protected in Vegas, which I think will be Flurry. I think. I mean, that, if you if you if you take a shot at Flurry, I'd like. I think anybody's going to do that. I think they're going to protect Robin Leonard, so yeah. Flurry, and then the other one is going to be what happens to Tuka Rask and. Mm-hmm. Uh, Halak in Boston. Those are two perennial starters. You also have to look at the Islanders. They have multiple, you know, multiple goaltenders that play. They rotate in and out throughout the playoffs. There's a lot of options. Does Vancouver even bother protecting Braden Holpe? Because they have, I think, I think they, they have, they have, you know, Demko's up and coming. Thatcher Demko, pride of Boston College, he's coming up. I think With, you've still got a few good years left in Holpe, though. He was okay this year. I just think there are options out there where even if the Jackets leave Corpy, who I think would be Corpus Allo unprotected, yeah. I think they'll still make it through without losing one of them. Um, guys on entry-level contracts are not eligible. So you look at the Jackets' roster up and down. It's tough to see who they would leave unprotected. I think they'll lose a D-man, and I think they lose Dean Kukin. Dean Kukin is the guy that I think Seattle will take. That would make the most sense. He's a he's a Swiss D man. He's good. He's a good third liner. He's really not a top four defenseman. I think that would make a lot of sense. I think that'd be a fair move. Um, he can go. He can probably be on the second line there, depending on how they decide to do their draft and their expansion draft. So, I think the Kraken could be looking at taking Dean Kukin um, if they protect him for whatever reason. I think a guy like Scott Harrington also fits the billing up there too. So. It'll just depend. The Jackets are relatively young there. They'll protect their top four. Obviously, if they trade Seth Jones beforehand, they're really protected back there. Um, it'll just depend on you know what route they decide to go in terms of protection against the expansion draft. Yeah, and I mean, it, we're kind of facing like two hurdles back to back with you know the idea of losing Seth Jones, and then you also have the expansion draft for Seattle, and it's like, well. There's that's two big events that we could really lose on mm-hmm. because if we lose on Seth Jones and then we lose on Elvis or Corpusalo, that's two huge players that we have lost from our team. The beauty of it is though is the Jets have three first round picks. I did forget that they have three first round picks, and now I have trade scenarios and I've ran through this copious amounts of times in my mind. And one of the things I think is feasible is the Jackets go after a first line center. And they trade two of their first-round picks amongst other potential assets. And, you know, I mean, that's a plethora of first-round picks. And they are sitting on a gold mine of trade value. Yeah. and Which I think you're going to need, especially with the new coach coming in, too. Like you need, to, you need to draft well by his standards so agreed. that he can build the team that he wants. Because you don't want him to come in and replace Torts and play with a bunch of Torts' guys that it doesn't match his style. Agreed. So and I think sitting on a giant stockpile of picks like that, and then also potentially being able to trade four more picks, I think that's the best route to go. I think they should look at elite centers in the NHL and go, who can I get? Edmonton just signed Ryan Nugent Hopkins to an eight-year, $41 million deal. Eight years is a long time for Ryan Nugent Hopkins. He's been in the league for a while, but RNH is also a proven you know, top six forward, top two center, and... Yeah. 
five million a year is not a huge cap at when the when the salary cap expands in the next two years. Right. It's you know it's worth looking at. I don't know about if he has any opt out options. Um, that could be beneficial for them as well. Um, I would love to go after a guy like Barkov in Florida. Granted, he's the captain. It would have to be a king's ransom, but yeah, we would have to really shell out for that. And you know what? If it involved trading a guy like Zach Wierenski, it might be worth looking at. See, I don't know if I'd be—I don't know if I'd be comfortable with letting Wierenski go for that kind of deal because you know they're gonna—they're gonna ask for the house. Oh, they're gonna ask for the, yeah. It's a captain. Yeah, they're going to they're gonna fight tooth and nail for every ounce of anything they can get from us for him. And first-round picks and Zach Wierenski is tempting. And future considerations and depth out of the organization, which the Jackets have in abundance. Yeah. So I, I think there's something to be worked out there, something to be talked about. Um, you know, there are other – I would love to see like a Sebastian Ajo. That's in division. That's Carolina. They're probably not going to do that. This is all assuming that we go back to the pre, you know, pre-COVID – Metropolitan Division, which I assume they will. Right, we're not playing the same four teams a hundred times a year. Exactly, and which, like I mean, I'm, I'm not happy with how this past season turned out. But if I'm being honest, like this was the season I watched the least of in the last you know eight years. Let's be frank, they were boring. Yeah, it, it, they were playing uninspired hockey, and like that's that's what I really hope for with Brad Larson coming in is that he can establish you know a solid identity because under Torts, like we were like the hardest working team in the NHL. Whatever. It's kind of like the whole miracle situation where it's like, you might not be the most skilled team, you might not be the fastest team, but God damn it, you're going to be the most well-conditioned team. Holy shit, am I sitting here with Herbert <laughs> Yeah, seriously. That, like, that, that, John, like, I've always said John Tortorella's coaching style reminded me a lot of Herb Brooks. Just like the no-nonsense, like tough love, like stern father kind of you know coach vibe, where it's like, we're, we're just hardworking. We're not flashy. We're not Vegas. You know what I mean? We're not, we're not Dallas. We're, we don't have, you know... We're not Tampa. Yeah, we're not Tampa. We don't have a Kucherov or a Sergachev. Like, we're just going to hustle the entire game, and we're going to be gritty and tough. And we kind of build a reputation under Torts of, like, we're a tough team to play, especially at NWA, where it's like the fans get into it. It creates a hectic environment. Teams don't score as often there. It also helps that we have killer goalkeepers, you know, back to back to back to back to back. You know I mean? We lost mm-hmm. Sergey. Next up was Jonas. We lose Jonas. We have Elvis. And then Elvis came in and had five, five shutouts in eight games yeah. as a rookie. I mean, it and was Jonas has that. Jonas had that 85 save game. I mean, and that's another the thing. Five I, overtime thriller against Tampa, which unfortunately went Tampa's way. That was the longest hockey game I've ever oh seen my, in my I, life. I, I, started, I started downtown and ended up at the bar Sky works at because we had COVID restrictions. And we had to go back to where, where I live in Columbus because I wasn't sure if we were going to get kicked out mid-period because, yeah. because of the restrictions. So we said, well, we got to take the show on the road, boys. And we all packed up and went, went downtown or went back to where I live. So, yeah, that was absolutely ridiculous. But we've been waiting for a Blue Jackets late run in the playoffs. And someone who knows all about late runs in the playoffs that finally just broke through, Chris Paul with the, with the Suns. Shout what? out to CP3 finally getting to his first finals. I mean, that man has deserved it for years now. Mm-hmm. You know, when he went to Houston, I thought he had a shot. But uh, yeah. I thought that was his best shot he was ever going to have. And then here we are, you know, Devin Booker turned into a young Kobe Bryant, rest his soul. But this kid has got a I mean, he scores like Kobe. Devin oh, had a 70-point game. Yeah, I mean, Devin Booker is an animal. Absolute animal on the court. Like, I, the dude, like, he just doesn't miss. He's got that killer instinct like Kobe had. And I think, I think that does play a lot into... Chris Paul reaching his first finals because mm-hmm. Paul was out for what two games, two or three. I believe back. so. And Devin Booker's back hurt, probably horribly bad. 
because he had to carry that team through the finals. I mean, you have DeAndre Aiden, but DeAndre Aiden, you know, I think it's what his first or second season. He's still pretty new. He's still going to screw up here and there. Mm-hmm. But Devin Booker's been a rock for that team. I mean, it's great for Chris Paul to make it to the finals. I'm, I'm glad that he finally has made that. But at the same time, it's like, let's not overlook Devin Booker. No, De- I mean, De- Devin Booker's a superstar. Kentucky just pumps him out. Oh, yeah. I mean, it, it, when it comes to Kentucky, like like one-and-dones, actually, I don't even know if Devin Booker was a one-and-done. I, I think he did two years. It's a great question. Something like that. Um, but like, look, look at John Wall. John Wall, still pretty successful. Anthony Davis. But he's the worst to come out of the one-and-dones, and he's still successful. Like, he's still got a place in the league. He's still a consistent, like, you know, household name. And then you have guys like Devin Booker where, it, like, it took forever for them to, get, you know, get their shot. And look, this year we gave him a shot, and they're in the NBA Finals. Mm-hmm. And they, you know, they, they have one sweep. They, they damn near had a second one against the Clippers. Yeah. And then let that, uh, what was it, game five, let that one slide. But they almost had two shutouts, or two uh, two sweeps. I am looking at Chris Paul's basketball reference page right now. Mm-hmm. This is his rap sheet. It's ridiculous. Oh, yeah. 11-time All-Star. 05-06 All-Rookie. 10-time All-NBA. 05-06 Rookie of the Year. 2012-13 All-Star MVP. Nine-time All-Defensive. Mm-hmm. And he's played regular season, of course, you know, a shade under 1,100 games. Yep. Averages 18 points a game. That's his career average? 18.3 points a game and 9.4 assists. 47.2% field goal percentage. 37.1% from three. 87.3% from the line. And this year, he shot 93.4% from the line. His expected field goal percentage is 55.7 this year. Fifty-two point two percent for his career. Jesus, and and he's what 12, 13 seasons in. His rookie season was oh five oh six, so he is in his sixteenth season. Yeah, that's. I mean, that's for your season average to be that high in every category. Sixteen years in, mm-hmm. it's it's it, it's quiet but consistent. You know, because being a point guard. In the truest sense of the, of the of the position, you're supposed to be a facilitator, a distributor. Mm-hmm. But this guy's also averaging 18 points a game at the point guard position, mm-hmm. and he's not he, like, you, like when I think Chris Paul, I don't think like Ray Allen, Steph Curry, like lights out shooter. Mm-hmm. I think like slash and dish. But you, honestly, the number 18 per game for his career is kind of throwing me a little bit because it's like, wow, like he's he just works hard, keeps his head down, plays like a quiet game, but he's putting up these insane stats. It's ridiculous. He spent his career with, you know, New Orleans, Clippers, Houston, Oklahoma City. He's been on some incredible teams. He's played with James Harden. You know, he's played with the Clippers. I don't even know who's on those Clippers teams, to be honest. The NBA is my, you know, least tenured subject. But, you know, he's played on some unbelievable teams that are doing, you know, the Clippers are great right now. Houston had a great run there for a minute. And now at 35, he's finally getting to go. You know, to the NBA Finals, and we don't know who he's going to play yet. You know, we'll we'll give some analysis there when the time comes because he does play for Phoenix, and that's really not that big of a basketball market. No, no, not at all. And I mean, I think the last time they made the the finals was probably with Steve Nash, right? I think it was ninety three. It wasn't with Steve Nash. Never did when he was winning his no, back to back MVP. I think it was Steve Nash. Um, here, I'll look it up real fast. But I'm pretty, yeah, I'm pretty sure Steve Nash was on the last team to make it uh, to the finals with the Suns. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's ridiculous how many good teams he's been on and. 
just, you know, it's never really worked out for him. And 92-93, behind uh, Charles Barkley's MVP season, Phoenix fell to Michael Jordan's Chicago Bulls in six games. Here's a wild stat. Chris Paul has played 1,090 NBA games. Chris Paul has started 1,090 NBA games. He has started every game. He's, he's never once come off the bench in the regular season. Wow. In the regular season. Let me check the playoffs. But I mean, even regular season, that's still incredible. Never once. Let me see. Postseason. Let's scroll down here. Yeah, that had a few years where the postseason was pretty short-lived for him, so. True. Um, I kind of look at the regular season. That's more of an accomplishment than the postseason, considering, you know, getting ousted relatively early in most years. They don't list it on here. He's played 123 postseason games. I would imagine that he's started 120 postseason games. Like it's it's funny when you talk about athletes that never come off the bench. Peyton Manning came off the bench. The old waterhead himself. Once. It was the last regular season game of his career when they couldn't decide between him and Osweiler. And Osweiler started the game and was terrible. That is also just such a ridiculous sentence. Yep. They and debated on starting between Peyton Manning and Brock Osweiler. Well, and I am a big Peyton Manning fan. I think he is. I am not a big fan of the rings argument when it comes to the NFL. No. I think there are quarterbacks that, you know, is Dan Marino worse than Trent Dilfer? Absolutely not. Dan I, Marino physically is one of the best quarterbacks ever played the game. I think it's an asinine argument when you when you debate rings amongst quarterbacks. I hate it. I think it's it's juvenile. I think Yes, you can say Tom Brady's the greatest because he's done a lot with a little many times. Don't even get me started on Tom. Brady. We, we'll we'll have a separate segment about that. We will. But we'll have but, a whole episode for that. <laughs> yeah, but uh, you know that aside, you know Peyton didn't come off the bench for his last game, and it's because he didn't have what he used to have. But what he had was a great defense, mm-hmm. and he came in and won that game in Week 17, and then propelled it through a great postseason run and won a Super Bowl. And he got to go out on his own terms. Most guys don't get to do that. So it, you know, it was cool to see Peyton be able to do that because you know Peyton had been such a consistent guy in the NFL, and he's he's such a nice guy. Yeah, I mean his uh, that's Saturday Night Live hilarious. Oh my god! Do you see him on the the what is it the roast of Rob Lowe? He was great on that too. Like he he tried his hand at comedy a little bit. He was awesome. Absolutely torched my Jaguars. It was great. Yeah, like there's nothing that you can say about Peyton Manning in a negative light, really. Yeah, I mean, the dude's just an all-around good dude. Yeah, I mean, he's, uh, you know, they had a few moments there, but, um, you know, yeah, Peyton Manning for sure. Yeah, um, I, you know, I'm really looking forward to watching Chris Paul in the finals and seeing what, uh, you know, if he can do it. And if he wins it, does he go on his own terms? Who knows? But I think if he wins it, I don't really think that would deter him from, from playing a few maybe, more years. You know, maybe, maybe, maybe try to run it back one time. He is 35, but... We'll see. Um, LeBron, LeBron's what, 36, 37? He's, yeah, but LeBron's a different caliber athlete than almost everybody else. I don't know. I mean, if you if you look at Chris Paul's stats, he's kind of a sleeper for that for that category. I mean, he he's, he's been well. He's a first. Ba- he's a first ballot Hall of Famer, no doubt. Yeah, he's been consistent as hell, even up into his 16th season. Yeah. No, I. And that's, and that's what I'm getting at with LeBron. LeBron's just been consistent. Yeah. You know, his his whole career has been consistent. CP3 is doing the same thing. Truth. Kawhi, you could make the argument that little he's getting there. That whole thing in San Antonio with the possibly faking an injury that <sighs> that's going to detract from that legacy. But well, he kind of falls into that category for me we, too. Cause we won't even talk about how much I hate load management, but yeah. <laughs> but you know, in, in terms of you know, kind of fun, heart, 
you know, it, you know, not heart wrenching, heart inspiring, you know, awe inspiring stories. We got to talk about Switzerland, man. Yeah, no, seriously, Switzerland knocking off. And yes, we will talk soccer. And when I talk about European, I'll call it footy. Call me an asshole. Call me a douche. <laughs> call me a Euro snob. I don't care. A I'm Euro a diehard. Snob. I'm a diehard Liverpool supporter. Sky's a big Arsenal and Real Madrid supporter. And sidebar, Sergio Ramos signed with PSG today. We'll get into that next episode. Yeah, I saw that. But, you know, that, all that aside, the Euros are fun. I, I think the Euros are – the group stage is better than the World Cup, in my opinion. The World Cup knockout rounds are better. But that is not to deter from how incredible the Euro knockout round is. And let me tell you, that I mean, first of all, we were treated to some amazing action on Monday. I mean, Croatia was down 3-1 to Spain. Ties it back up. Granted, they lost five three in the, you know an extra time, but for them so, to, for I mean, them to come back, the three goal deficit. The Croats, man. I mean, they they fought their ass off, but Switzerland, my god. You take out France, the reigning World Cup like champions in the round of sixteen. That's and, not hard. That's not easy to do. You know, and what's crazy is you know Kareem Benzema was left off that twenty eighteen World Cup roster. Kareem yeah. Benzema was done dirty by by Deschamps. It's it's wild. You know, he scored twice. And then Pogba had a worldly, and you're like, yeah, when Pogba sport scored that 25 yards out, upper 90. Oh, Pogba's got he's got a howitzer for a leg. I mean, oh. that dude, he, and Pogba's so much better for France than he is for Manchester United. I think Ole Gunnar Solskjaer really holds him back. Oh, I think so, too. Which is unfortunate, because he's the best midfielder for them, too. I think you know? for Pogba, well, he's, he's and Golo Conte is the best French midfielder. Let's not get it twisted. Yeah, but, but I he's think, a CDM. I think pound for pound, Paul Pogba's up there in the top five in the world. Agreed. I, 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 pound for pound, he like he does things that a lot of midfielders cannot do because midfielders, you know, at least in my experience growing up, they're they're your you know your field general, your distributors, they're the ones that control the pace of the game. But this dude also can, he's like Steph Curry almost, like he can score from right out outside of midfield, mm-hmm. and not a lot of not a lot of midfielders have that kind of power in their shot. It reminds me of like a Steven Gerrard or a Frank Lampard, guys like yeah. that that could line it up and just drill it from anywhere, and you're like, my goodness. And what was crazy about that match was between Switzerland and France, I was, I was watching it, and, you know, Severovic scores in the 15th minute for Switzerland, and I'm like, okay, Swiss have a one nothing lead. There's no way in hell that holds up. Yeah, it seems it almost seems like a fluke at first. It does. And then Benzema scores, and it's 1-1. And then Benzema scores two minutes later, like, and okay, it's 2-1, here, and you're like... Here comes the unraveling. You're like, okay. Yeah. And then, of course... Pogba scores and it's three one and you're like okay they're they're dead to rights they're dead and buried they're they're not the neutral Swiss did their best but it's just not quite good enough and then Severovic scores in the eighty first minute to make it three two and you're like you know they okay 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 maybe maybe we'll get some back here this match is getting interesting and then Gavranovic in the ninetieth minute equalizes and I'm like holy shit we're going to extra time now. Didn't have the utmost faith yeah. in extra time, but sure enough, they outlasted him in 30 minutes. And then you go to pens, and pens are – there's really nothing to equate it to. As a goalkeeper, I hated penalty kick shootouts because it's, it's, you leave, it's, almost, like, it's almost like you're deciding the game and tossing a coin. You know, because it's really – like as a goalkeeper, penalty kicks – are so unpredictable. They are. Yeah, it's 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 really not like I like I personally. It'd be like deciding an NBA Finals game after overtime with a three point shootout. Yeah, and it's it, it doesn't make any like we're, that's the only sport that does that kind of. We're stuff. gonna have a home it's run like, derby after the ninth inning. No. Yeah, it, it doesn't make any sense. Like my thing is, I, I I wish almost it was like a hockey rule where they just continue overtime until. Would you like to see them go from eleven on eleven to like eight on eight? 
Yeah, no, I think I think I think open up open up the pitch more. I think it'd be cool to do more of like a for each uh, extra time segment, you subtract a player from each team. And then what you get down to like a six on six, and then if that, then you go to penalty kicks maybe. Then yeah, but I, I feel like you know if you do sudden death with like six on six, you're gonna score. Yeah, someone's gonna score, and somebody's gonna have to earn it. So I feel like penalty kicks are such a cop out. I feel like Tom Hanks sitting on the bridge talking to Matt Damon. Yeah, earn it. Yeah, like go earn it. That's my that's my thing with PKs. PKs are it's 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 left up to so much chance. Mm-hmm. You know, because uh, playing goalkeeper, like when I when I was in that situation with a penalty kick, it's like, all right, well, I mean, you really just kind of have to guess. Not even just for the keepers, though. I think you also in an international tournament, you have to take into account things like the weight on the shoulders of a country. And that's why I really wasn't all that shocked that Mbappe's was saved. Because Kylian Mbappe may be the best player under 30 on the planet. In fact, you can I, would, I would venture to say he is. He is the best player under 30 in the world. And he's only 22. He's already won a World Cup. And he's, he's, yeah. a, he's a star man for Paris Saint-Germain. And he's linked to big market moves, bigger market than PSG, because let's be honest, the French league is, it's okay. It's a top five league in the world, but it's number five. Yeah. And, you know, his, he's a huge brand. He's friends with LeBron James. He's Cy. I mean, it, it makes sense. But when he stepped up, I went, if there's one to be saved, it's right now. It's going to be this one. And it was. And Samir saved the pen. And I was like, yeah, because penalties are such a, you know, a crapshoot. But the other big thing is, Excuse me. The the weight of France on your shoulders, the expectations of France, especially as defending champions. That just adds an extra layer of, like, you better get this done. And Switzerland is playing on house money, you know. Yeah, it's like they lose. They lost to France. The the casino gave them 500 bucks and said, do whatever you want. And they're like, okay, I'm going to go play black. I'm going to go to the roulette wheel and just I'm going to put it all on green. Yeah. What's the worst that happens? You lose 500 bucks you never had? What's the best that happens? You set up a good college fund for your kids. Yeah, exactly. It's a very different mindset, and I think the Swiss just took it in stride, where I think the French were very good, but I think Mbappe overthought it and went, i got to put it in a spot that I know I'll score instead of picking a corner. Yeah. Well, it's, it's almost like that mentality where it's the man to, the man that has nothing to lose is a man to fear. It's, Switzerland had nothing to lose. It's, it's never the loudest guy in a fight you have to be afraid of. It's the quietest guy in yeah. the back. It's. I think France. I think what France did is they overlooked Switzerland. I think they looked. They looked on and like, all right, we're going to go to the Elite Eight. We might find a challenge there. Mm-hmm. We're going to go to the Final Four, and then we're thinking championship. Yep. We're not looking at this Swiss team that of you know guys that we really don't ever see that often. Granite Jaka, Jordan Shakiri, like you know they have a bunch of guys that play, and they have a few guys that have done their time in England and Italy, but majority of them play in. Average to below average, even if they're in the even if they're in a top league, they still play in a bottom tier team. So right. there was not a lot to lose, and everything from the Swiss to gain. And I think that was ultimately the demise of the French in the Euros. Yeah. So, well, this will conclude the inaugural pilot episode of Small Market and Security. Sky, do you have anything you want to say before we leave the good folks? Uh, go dogs! Woof woof! Dog check. <laughs> it's all about Cleveland, baby. All about that small market. And we're sitting here hoping that Jesse Winker and Nick Castellanos, I voted my ass off, are representing the Cincinnati Reds as starting corner outfitters in the All-Star game. Guys, 
I really hope you appreciate the first episode of Small Market Insecurities. We're looking forward to bringing you plenty more from where this came from. If you have any suggestions or anything, um, we will be tagging all of our social media and everything in the next episode. We're going to get all set up. So by all means, let us know if you have conversations or topics you'd like to discuss. We're happy to talk about them with you. Uh, this is Phil Razor signing off for Sky Ball. Remember, small market insecurities. Pairs well as with booze.